0: Today on The Real Guy Podcast, we have Terry Gibson from the American Water Security Project. Terry has been an avid fisherman, surfer, and hunter his whole life. He's a true outdoorsman, somebody we'd call a real guy. He's worked with Surfer Magazine as an editor, Florida Sportsman, and has done extensive work with the Surfrider Foundation. After Terry uh, experienced some serious health issues due to surfing and toxic waters due to sewage, he's dedicated his life to help clean up our waterways, and he's a true environmentalist and an all-around real guy. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. This is Terry Gibson from the American Water Security
1: Project. Clear the airwaves. The Lunker Dog is on the air.
0: Are you ready? This is The Real Guy Podcast. Thanks for listening to The Real Guy Podcast. Special guest today, I got Terry Gibson. He's a real guy from the American Water Security Project. We've had Terry on the, on the show before, and he was absolutely phenomenal. And after the big legislation that was just passed, I thought nothing would be more fitting than get Terry back on air. Terry, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me back, Jeff. So, are you guys over there at the American Water Security Project, are you guys taking a little bit of a victory lap?
1: I'm, I'm too bone weary to take much of a lap. I'd say a, a, a walk around the block. But uh, all right, so you taking a victory walk? <laughs> yeah. But uh, all right. All right. You know, thank you. We did have a, a tremendous session, and as Nyla Pipes pointed out earlier, I mean, victory has many successes, and uh, uh, victory has many success. Victory has many. Um, Mothers and fathers, and yeah, it was a big team effort, a bunch of people from diverse communities coming together to support the Clean Waterways Act, and the Environmental Accountability Act, and the governor signed them on the last day of the month, along with some other pretty strong pieces of legislation and it's been the craziest year I've ever seen in the legislature in all my years of doing this. And, um, but yeah, everybody should be real proud of the legislature and the governor, at least in that context.
0: Well, with, with the legislation that was passed, what was, um, American water security projects, um, what would you guys call your biggest win and, and, and tell, tell the audience what kind of work that you guys had to put into it to get a win?
1: Man, um, I could write a book about this, but I'll. It's okay. We got time. (laughs) So we worked primarily on the wastewater and stormwater components of the Clean Waterways Act, which is a. 77 page bill um possibly longer if i remember correctly Mm -hmm. that addressed basically every point and non-point source of pollution known to man whether it's you know agricultural in origin urban in origin or industrial in origin you name it and so um but the i think most people any reasonable person um even the bills detractors agree that that the wastewater and stormwater components were its strongest um components and that's really important because you know um, wastewater is just it's just so bad for the environment and bad for people. It's not just chock full of you know of nitrogen and phosphorus and species of nitrogen and phosphorus that are superfood for harmful algal blooms. It's full of contaminants too. It's I mean it's the reason why you get beach closures and everywhere. And so we're really strong we're really um really proud of the legislation surrounding that. And you can almost think about the Environmental Accountability Act um, as its enforcement arm. And so, one of the things that the Environmental Accountability Act does is it, it doubles or it increases the fines by fifty percent if you're spilling raw sewage or dredging and causing t- too much turbidity or you know dumping industrial waste into anything. You know, it really creates a, a serious deterrent, a financial deterrent to um, for, to, to pollution. And right. you know, in the past especially with the wastewater utilities, you know, paying $10,000 a day fine was just the cost of doing business on aging, antiquated and failing infrastructure. Now it's $15,000 a day per day until they fix it. That, that might give them pause, you know? So, um, um, you know, we're just really in, in the third component of that is there's a, you know, um, a grant program now just for wastewater infrastructure. And it, you know, it, it hands out money in an organized and fair way. Where before it was, every single member of the legislature would request money, and some people would get money, and some people wouldn't get money, depending upon their standing with leadership and the governor's office. Right. So it's a much more equitable way to go about um, allocating resources to people that, that really want to fix their their wastewater problems. None of this is going to be effective without the folks that are listening to this helping out and, and many other people. Um, we absolutely have to have uh, citizens raising hell at, on the local level and with the legislatures, making sure that we do septic to sewer conversions, that we that we get the monies into that grant um, fund to uh, to help local municipalities do septic to sewer conversions or fix their wastewater infrastructure so that right. it's not all born on the back of the rate as It should right.
0: Let me let me let me stop you there, Terry, because sure. I want to I want to try to make it perfectly clear for the audience, and let me know that make sure I got it perfectly clear. So there's been money allocated, mm-hmm. and the money is sitting there. Now it's up to the general public to demand that that money be spent on the failing infrastructures across um, the state and the and the septic issues across the state, and then the outcry from the citizens mm-hmm. will then influence the amount of money being
1: spent. Is that correct? The first part's not correct. Basically what the legislature and the governor did this year was they, they put an empty wallet in an, in the department of environmental protection and it wasn't quite empty. And we were on pace to get record funding for wastewater and stormwater infrastructure. Then COVID hit and the governor had no choice, but to go back and veto a lot of the, um, the projects that received funding and Look, he vetoed a lot of his own projects. He vetoed a lot of the ones we really care about. Some of them were disappointing. But what he was afraid of is that, the, you know, the state's revenues because of the virus were going to disappear. and He'd come back in November, you know, and be way so deep in the red, he'd never be able to dig the state out. So he, he acted proact- proactively and, and um, sliced off some of that budget. Um, you know, as we got to the third to last day of the session, really once the session ended, we were telling people we ran the table. We got the policy that, that'll work and we got record funding for this stuff. And we got even more funding coming from the feds. We've got this, we've got this problem solved. And then the virus hit. Oh. so we got a lot of money to fix this stuff. And we got in the clean waterways act, you know, provisions that will prevent cities such as, you know, like in the past, the city of Fort Lauderdale, they raided all their enterprise funds from their wastewater utilities. They raided all their revenues and never right. reinvested in it. Right. So now that the way that that legislation is worded, it's going to be pretty hard to justify that kind of behavior anymore. So, you know, but still to the second part of your question, appropriations is always a battle. Appropriations is the process through which the legislature decides um, on you know, what the budget is going to be and what gets funded. And the governor has veto power over that. These next couple of legislative sessions, we're probably going to be dealing with a pretty lean budget. And we're going to have to fight like hell for every last dollar. And we need every last person that's listening to this to help. Um, and it, and it, there's ways to go about it. You know, you you go to your local elected officials and you say, lobby for this. And you go to your local legislator, you say, lobby for this. Um, we have to have this. But, yeah, you know, it's we want a major, major victory. Like, D, we won D-Day, but we have not won the war. Right. Right, right. Now, all
0: right, so really what you're telling us is it's going to start with local politicians in their local Mm -hmm. communities and then reach out to them and also the governor's office to make sure that people – that those people understand the will of the people Mm -hmm. and how important it is to the people because so far – and even in Fort Lauderdale, with you know, we've had quite a few people um, you know, join the cause and start to speak out and pay attention, but it's not enough. And I think one of the biggest issues is people one, they don't get the message, and then when they do get the message, they're really having a hard time saying, Okay, what's the first step? What's my second step? What's my third step? You know what I mean?
1: Mm-hmm. So, I'm trying to think how to give you all the best guidance you have. Well, it kind of put your let's, let's think about this holistically, though. You know, we okay. tend to think as fishermen and surfers and divers and everything else about water quality, right? Um, obviously, dumping raw or partially treated sewage in there doesn't help the quality, but it also wastes water. You know, the idea is to treat. And um, and and recycle this water optimally, so that we have clean water, and so that we also have sufficient water quantity for purposes such as irrigation or rehydrating wetlands, or other, other um, you know other environmental restoration projects. I mean, you can even drink the stuff if you if you treat it right. Although places like Fort Lauderdale are light years away from being able to do that. Right. So. First of all, I would say to everyone, think about water holistically. It's not just pooping in our creeks and canals and on our coral reefs. It's we're wasting water. I think wastewater is a misnomer. Wastewater isn't waste, it's a resource, especially in a on a peninsular state like ours that's got 21 million people in it, way too many straws in the ground and sea level rising and, and, and encroaching on our aquifers. So there's that p- part of it. The Messaging is bigger than just the quality. It's on our security of our, of, our, of our state waters where we recreate, and also in our drinking water supplies, and our waters for irrigation, and our waters to drive businesses of every variety. And then from there, um, it, you should, every one of us should have a relationship with our local elected officials. We should. I mean, it's just there's no like Nyla said. There's there's no such thing as a just a stay at home mom. There's no such thing as just a stay at home citizen. Um, any citizen that weighs in is important, but you know, get your facts straight in this state, the way that the the government is set up, we are not the United Florida of cities and counties. We are Florida and Florida is part of the United States. So things tend to happen a little more top down from the state to the local level, but having, having unanimous support or having overwhelming support for water security a holistic water treatment is really helpful. So you should know your local elected officials, your your councilman or your uh, your um, you know, your city commissioner, but you should also know your state reps, your state senator, and, and state legislature legislator. And you should also know your congressman. Okay, because all of these people have abilities to put funding towards these problems. All of them do. So getting a uniform, consistent message to everyone that represents you is really your civic duty, I don't mean to lecture you, but it's, we have to do this at this point or we are not going to make it.
0: Right. Right.
1: And, and dude, lecturing, somebody's
0: got to do it. Mm -hmm. And the American water security project, obviously is trying to lecture people and then guys like me are trying to, um, you know, get that information out. So don't feel like you're lecturing people. People want to know this. I don't think you could talk this way, at least to our crowd, you know, say 15 or 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. But today's day and age, I mean, all you have to do is go and look at any canal in Broward, Dade, Palm Beach County. I can speak for those for sure. And just look in the canal system. And the new norm and what people are used to seeing is pollution coming from the sewers, coming from the drains, and then straight up plastic and debris. And we see things now that, heck, you would have called friggin' 911 for, you know, 20 years ago. And we just live with it.
1: Yeah, what you're getting at is the phenomenon of shifting baselines. You know, exactly. um, you know, people people don't know what it looked like when we were kids. Um, you know, about 15 years ago, I got in a massive legal fight over my home surf break and fishing pier in Lake Worth Pier, where I grew up, um, where they wanted to do an illegal beach nourishment project, a big dredge and fill project that would have destroyed that. Surf there, and the fishing, and the reefs all around it, and that spot, whether you're a fisherman or a surfer, has always been notorious for its localism. You're not from there, you're not never been fit made to feel real welcome. And so I remember paddling out one day when this this litigation was looming against the town of Palm Beach, and one of the old locals was giving some guy from Miami a hard time about surfing there. I'll make up a name here. I'm not going to use his name. I said, Chuck, are you serious? You're going to beat that guy up, but you're not going to lift a finger to help me fundraise for this litigation. It's time for a new localism. And I thought about that term for a second. What is, a, what is the new localism? And that's those of us that care about, you know, and spot, our fishing spots and our surf spots, and our dive spots and everything else, instead of being territorial about it between each other, Hey, get out of my spot. Hey, get off my wave. It needs to be ecological territorialism. Um, and, and this is what, you know, I, I think we can. We we've done this many times to harness the passion of watermen and women, and to protect the places for their own sake, for their own children, and 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 at least slow this awful phenomenon of the shifting baseline, and in some cases reverse it. Right, right, so, right. You know now that
0: was a great analogy, new localism. I might I might name the episode new localism because that makes a hell of a lot of sense, and that's exactly what people need. Um They need that. They need layman's terms. They need to understand exactly what Terry Gibson from the American water security project is actually getting at and um, spreading the word through what we'll call new localism.
1: That's strong, dude. That's very good. Well, there's a couple of case and case examples that we should reference and um, and think about it. And and that's Tampa Bay and Sarasota Bay in the late seventies and early eighties, they sat down and, recognized the contributions of sewage nitrogen to the declines of those bays. And they took responsibility for their own pollution. Um, and they put together the, this this um, coalition to reduce nitrogen from various sources, but they prioritized the reduction of, of wastewater pollution. They got people off of septic tanks, and they got people up to advanced wastewater treatment standards through the um, master collection systems. Right. And within about 10 years, they had 1950s levels of seagrass back. I mean, I I saw it myself. My dad was a lawyer and uh, he would take me fishing over there all the time. He represented some banks over there. and You know, the late 70s and early 80s, not date myself and that place was just disgusting. It's like the Indian River Lagoon where I live is now. Yeah, I I went back, you know, once, you know, after I got out of college and went over there to fish with some guys and I started working for the fishing magazines and I looked down and I'm like, I was almost shocked. I'm like, oh my God, that's seagrass. Oh my God, that's really tall seagrass. What happened? Hmm. You know, So, People took responsibility for their own backyards. They said, we love this place. We, we own it. It's a public trust resource. We are the public. And and they they fix that stuff. And now, uh, not to di- to get off on a tangent, but you know, they're starting to backslide over there with some sewage spills and septic tank issues and sea level rise issues that confound those things. But um, but we've seen time and time again, we've seen where people have taken, taken responsibility for their own pollution, their own backyards and turn things around.
0: Right. Right, right. And that needs to happen like a domino effect all across the state in order for it to really work, that's right. Um, which is one of the reasons we're doing this type of content on this type of podcast. Now, I saw some shit about um, Sarasota Bay. Now, what's going on there now? They had a big sewage spill. Is that that's from the new um, infrastructure that they did? Or is that old stuff?
1: So, Dr. Peter Burrell and I are headed over there Thursday to get a firsthand look at it. It's complicated, it's Big Bay. Um, the Sunshine Coast Waterkeeper, I'd love to plug here, uh, Justin Bloom, He's he has sued um, uh, the Sarasota area utilities, and I'm spacing on exactly who he sued, but successfully to get them to upgrade their um, wastewater infrastructure so that they account for increased population and hopefully sea level rise and more intense storms and things like that. But recently there was a really bad break in, at a longboat key um we we aren't sure exactly what happened there. I, I only know I would only be reporting what I read in the newspaper to tell you but um it sounds like they had a a a, a an explosion in a mangrove wetland right there and um and the locals are reporting um uh harmful algal blooms in the vicinity and and some other areas. Um, so it's it's pretty clear that, that that Sarasota Bay is backsliding and backsliding fast. Um, one of the fellows you ought to have on the show is, is Captain Rusty Chinnis, who's an old friend of mine, who um, is the is the cherry emeritus of the um, Sarasota Bay Watch and one of the best outdoor writers and photographers and fly fishermen I've ever had the pleasure of sharing a boat with. Um, he really knows that water backwards and forwards, and that's who we're going to go over and, and, and go over and explore the area with. Awesome. but yeah so and, and you know i'd love to report back on that maybe we can get rusty on on the show with you too and he can really yeah, talk. I would
0: love to because um when i read that um i don't know a couple three weeks ago uh, sarasota was having some issues and then some people were of course emailing and sending texts and showing me pictures and that kind of thing and um it's funny you're going over there thursday because i actually thought um, I'm, 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 taking a trip over to the West coast and I actually thought about taking some time and just to roll down there to Sarasota and, um, talk to some locals and see what I could find out. So yeah, I really am interested in, um, in your trip on next Thursday and I definitely want to touch base with you. To talk sure, about
1: it. Maybe you can join us. That'd be, that'd be awesome. We're still trying to put the logistics together. Uh, it might not be Thursday, but, um, we'd love to have you there.
0: Uh, Dude, if it's, uh, remember I was telling you that we am going over to, uh, Fort Myers to do the podcast with the captains for clean waters sure. that um, is scheduled for Thursday um, I don't know in the afternoon. So if uh, you guys are anytime, but that time at close, I would love to ride down to Saras up to Sarasota and see you guys. All
1: right. We'll see so if we can, we can work it out. On that. Yeah. We'll see if we can work it out. But you know, what's happening in Sarasota Bay um, in parts of Tampa Bay and many other places is that, because of climate change, because of sea level rise, the septic tanks that were not so much of an issue are now routinely underwater and just discharging you know the nastiest stuff you can imagine straight into the ground and surface waters. And again, you know there's one thing I could leave the audience with is that sewage raw or partially treated is just super food for harmful algal blooms. They will eat it preferentially every time. They just love it. And it's full of pathogens. So right. You know, there's that element of it. And then there's the element of, of, you know, the flooding from below combining with the flooding from above. So, you know, we've been getting these, these record setting, you know, rainy season rainfall events and these gigantic, terrifying, super wet hurricanes that last forever. So you've got a lens of salt, fresh water sitting on a lens of salt water where there's a bunch of septic tanks and sewer lines that aren't lined. And guess what happens? They all get flooded out. They all get in. It's called inflow and infiltration with the sewer lines. Right. They overwhelm the systems, and there's nothing that the utility operators can do but dump it somewhere. And that's the nearest water body typically, if not some poor guy's name, some poor neighborhood, or both. So you know, it's a huge environmental issue. It's a huge social justice issue here. Um, and you know, it's not just a water issue. It's a climate issue, and and uh, we have got to build. if we're going to actually seriously talk about coastal resiliency, it starts with resilient wastewater infrastructure. And by definition, septic tanks are not resilient wastewater infrastructure, not in a coastal setting, not in any wetland setting. Right. 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 And with the, you know, with the the master, you know, wastewater collection systems, I mean, those things got to be lined. They got to be high and dry. they have got to have the capacity back at the plant to deal with increased population and, some infiltration and inflow cuz some of it's un, it, it, unavoidable but right
0: right we got yeah. a lot left here one of the one of the things that i'm going to try to drive home um you know with everybody um, and it's something that that that's a it's a common mistake and i i want to bring it up multiple times and i want to get your spin on it what i find with a lot of our audience is they want to take out their aggression and frustration on the city officials that are sitting in there now mm-hmm. and i remember you coming to fort lauderdale after the major sewer leaks and um sitting down with the mayor and listening to him and you were one of the first persons that told me that he was actually pretty good and then um recently i was able to get the mayor out on my boat um, just last week, and I took him around the canal system, and we talked about some simple common sense things that would start helping cleaning up, um, you know, Fort Lauderdale. And I was pleasantly surprised on how receptive he was to some of the things. But one of the things that that I really learned is that a lot of these mayors, commissioner city commissioners, um, and I'm sure it goes all the way up to uh, people in D.C. A lot of these people just have no frigging clue mm-hmm. what to do or where the real problem is because they're just not um, familiar with the water every day. I mean, yeah. Fort Lauderdale is one of these places that if you don't put yourself out on the water, you can be in Fort Lauderdale for weeks and never understand how bad the pollution problem is here. Mm-hmm. And when I took the mayor out on the boat is um, he knew there was pollution problems, but, I don't think that he ever really got it until just now. I mean, he knew that he knew that the money wasn't in, in, being invested back into the infrastructure over the years. he? First thing he ever said was that. But I don't think he really got the water issue because he just don't didn, never saw it.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things I'd say to that No. My native disposition is not that of a diplomat. Let me put it that way. I'm a fighter, and I'm as mad as anybody. I've been mad since I saw my first 10-pound bass dead in a pile of slime in Lake Okeechobee when I was like five or six years old. You know, I've had a sense from earliest age that that the previous generations have stolen the quality of outdoor recreation and and the ability to make a livelihood on the water from us, and they have. Um, Not that our generation is held harmless in that. But, um, you know, it's it's important, though, to channel that that anger and frustration and to go have a civilized conversation with your elected officials first. And I remind myself constantly, I've never been I I tell this to myself, you know, how many people have you walked up to and punched in the nose and then had developed a long term, meaningful and productive relationship later? Right. It doesn't work. You know, it just doesn't. Right. So, you know there's a lot of groups out there that just scream and, you know, it, it I, I just tune them out and so do most of the legislators. Um, yeah. You
0: know, yeah. So. And, and yeah, it's, it's self-defeating to do that. Yeah. And I think if you're going to let your aggressions out and speak out, speak out to the constituents of that leader, mm-hmm. get those people, get as pissed at those people for not being involved or not being able to see what's going on or their lack of concern and efforts and spend your aggression and your energy rallying the constituents rather than bashing the elected official.
1: Yeah, that's right. right. That's right. I mean, you know, there's you know, there's a time and a place where you got to unelect somebody. And Don't get me wrong. But, right. You know, um, and I'm not a you know, I'm not playing partisan politics here, and I don't want the conversation to extend beyond the the the, the, the subject of of um, water here. But, you know, the legislature this year unanimously passed two aggressive foundational water bills. They were passed unanimously. They are led by Republicans because the legislature is largely Republican. Right. There were some issues along the way. There were some tense discussions behind closed doors. But we got to the end of that process, and that process worked. And the governor signed it, and the governor was an integral part of the of that entire process through secretary Noah Valenstein who's the secretary of DEP was there every step of the way. And it was really amazing to see bipartisan, almost camaraderie and cooperation science rule the day, um, calm, cool heads result in, in good, but never perfect, um, making, and record appropriations mm-hmm. until we had to, you know, punt on that because of COVID. So, um, Again, um, you know, I don't mean to say anything partisan, but the second part of that is is what you're doing in terms of getting Mayor Trentalis out on the boat. Like you said, you know, I went and met with him immediately after the system just exploded. And I'd read that he had voted repeatedly. I saw, I went up, pulled the record, see he'd re- repeatedly voted to end raiding the enterprise funds from the wastewater utility. He had voted to, to reinvest in those time and again, but it was overridden by the rest of the, of the city commissioner, or council, or whatever it is. Okay. And... Um, And I was impressed by his open willingness to listen. Here's a man that clearly hadn't spent his life on the water like we have, but he loves his hometown and and he was looking for direction and he was appreciative of that. And so getting in, and you said it, you know, so few of these legislators have had the the privileged upbringing that you and I have had where we had, you know, loving parents that raised us fishing and hunting or diving and surfing, you know, and in the outdoors. And we couldn't imagine doing anything else else with our lives they're a little envious of it, but they don't. You know, when you take them out on a boat or take them, you know, in the woods or whatever, they're looking, but they're not seeing like we do. You know, right. it's like it's like you know we're looking through polarized sunglasses, and they're not, they don't have polarized sunglasses. Right. It's what we need to do as as a you know an, a, an outdoors community is invite these people out on on the boats and literally and figuratively hand them polarized sunglasses so they can see what's going wrong or what's going right. You know. Right. And so that level of education, you just can't, it just can't be enough. But it also, the most important thing is the science. It's the most difficult thing to, to get the the community to understand on a, on a broad scale because it gets complicated really quick. Right. And, you know, and I was guilty of this when I was a younger man, you know, that I spend five days, seven days a week in and on the water. I know better than any PhD. Well, no, I did. (laughs) I really did. And I was lucky enough to spend a lot of my 20s and 30s as a young journalist and advocate hanging around with with PhDs who are experts in this stuff. And it was an amazing experience because I got to to take what I'd observed on the water through, you know, four four generations of Floridian of my family on the water here and run it through the lens of a scientist. And I learned so much and it was humbling. And thank God it was humbling because I was an arrogant little bastard
0: yes America. like so many of us are imagine it's that
1: so are. and so you know it's it's important that we continue you know when you take those boat tours when we're doing a series of these you know get the scientists and the fishing guides on board with the politician and help them see instead of just look um help them understand and then the policy solutions will in the and the financial solutions will present themselves from there
0: very yeah I, I i couldn't agree more i could not agree more also i want i want um Floridians, old Floridians, to know this crazy growth rate that we're having, we're getting, what, 300,000 people a year moving to Florida? Mm -hmm. I mean, one, the government doesn't know what old Floridians know or what they care about. And I think it's important that us as, you know, second and third and fourth generation Floridians need to – need to spread the word and educate, like I said, the, 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 the public, the constituents on what's important because the government's not going to educate those people. And if they don't do it, the only people that can do it is us.
1: That's right.
0: And the reason those people are moving here, the vast majority of the reason those people are moving here is because of the sun, the fun, and the water that all go together. And um, I think getting the new people coming into the state on the same page as the watermen and the hunters and the kayakers, paddleboarders, people that have beachgoers that have, you know, just enjoyed the piss out of their coastal communities need to make sure that they deliver the message and spend the effort to deliver the message. Which yeah. I don't think has been happening until just recently, where I'm seeing um, this surge, where this energy is coming about. Do you agree with that? Are you seeing new energy compared to say ten years ago?
1: I do, you know, and there's there's a lot of um, a lot of people deserve a lot of credit on this. Um, you know, I, I saw the captains for clean water. You know, they came out and um, you know really raised awareness. I'm doing the job I've been trying to do while doing five other jobs for years, you know, they did a good, really good job, especially in the Everglades piece of this stuff. Right. You know, that's another thing I should add. You know, that was one of our priorities to this session. And we did get record funding for the Everglades restoration projects. I'm not, I'm not as happy about some of them as some people are. There's problems with them, but they are going to help a lot. And more in terms of like getting the water where it needs to be in the right amount, my concern is just, is it going to be clean enough? Right. Um, but uh, more on that later. We can talk about that all day. But, you know, here in my community in the Stewart area, you know, I mean, man, I had to evacuate. I've got a four-year-old son. He's just turned four. Twice in the last four years, I've had to leave home for months on end because it's just too toxic for, for the blue-green algal blooms for for a young child to be around. Right. And the, the short version on what happens here is that, um, that you know, they open the locks in Lake Okeechobee on us that algae comes down into the St. Lucie estuary. Most of this area is on septic tanks. It hits all that superfood and it just explodes both in terms of, you know, biomass and and toxicity. Right. So, you know, that, that, you know, that, that whole, you know, this community is just over it. South, the the community in Southwest Florida is just completely over it. You know, they're just not going to take it anymore. Um, And that red tide that, you know, was, it impacted everywhere from cocoa beach all the way around to to the panhandle a couple of, you know during 2018. I mean you know we just can't sustain that we just can't and, and if anybody tells you red tide is natural occur naturally occurring yeah it is do you know what happens when you come shore and you feed it sewage and other things that humans put in the water it thrives and it doesn't go away
0: when I want to talk about that red tide for a second because one of the things that totally kills me about that red tide That was devastation to the highest degree. Mm. And the lack of media coverage that that got totally floored me. Like, okay, yeah, the west coast of Florida got, you know, a lot of coverage on their local news and stuff, kind of like Broward County got a lot of coverage on the local news with the sewage spill. But it really didn't hardly get further than that. And if that's not a frigging national disaster that everybody should have frigging knew about, learned about, and it just didn't happen. Do you think that that's purposely done? Because I just don't get it. That's like a volcano or something that just was not
1: covered by the national media. Well, it it did get some coverage and we pushed a lot of it, but, and I, I think what happened there, Jeff is, um, you, you you heard some groups and I won't name them. You know they kept they, you hear. If I had a nickel for every time I heard it, it's naturally occurring, it's naturally occurring. We need to right. study it more. We need to study it more. I'm like, no, we don't. <laughs> um, we know it's naturally occurring, but we also know that it loves land-based sources of pollution, uh, sewage and other things. And the public knew that. I mean, we had a Irma go through here and and cause sewage to be spilled everywhere, and then it exploded. I mean, the public knew that, and so. Some of these very people that have denied the the linkage between land-based sources of pollution and, 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 and fueling the, the, the red tides, they stopped. They just stopped. They finally admitted it. And they should have admitted it 15 years ago right. you know, for that long, but at least they did. And the conversation became much more productive instead of, well, let's study it some more. Oh, let's put some radioactive phosphate tailings on it and see if we can kill it. And all these you know cockamamie suggestions, it became more like, let's stop feeding it. That's the best thing we can do. So I do think there was a a major paradigm shift there in terms of public perception and and public policy.
0: Yeah, I know the the public's starting to get it. And um, I just really think that, um, you know, when there's a crisis like that and something that, you know, rarely ever seen, that the whole country would know and understand it a heck of a lot better. Um, To me, it kind of feels like, somehow or another, it got shuffled under the rug. Not that nobody knew about it, but it wasn't, you know, this it wasn't this huge eye-opening experience. People are worried about friggin' Australia burning down and places in the Amazon and so on and so forth. In the meantime, that happens right here in Florida, in the best beaches in the entire world. And I really don't feel like people understood what a crisis that that actually was and where it leaves us
1: today. Well, I I disagree. In the Clean Waterways Act and Environmental Accountability Act are evidence that the, the people got it, so the legislators got it, and we got stuff passed. And the other thing I will say is this is not just a Florida problem. Harmful algal blooms are everywhere. You know, I didn't found the American Water Security Project to be the Florida Water Security Project. I've worked all over this country, you know, we work in half a dozen different states, We're most heavily deployed in Florida, but, you know, the Great Lakes has this problem, right? North Carolina has the wisteria blooms, which are, you know, th- those things will cause like flesh eating lesion type things. Um, you talk to the watermen up there about that stuff. It's nasty stuff. Um, you know, blue green algae is a problem just about everywhere. Um, there's all co- sorts of um, brown tides in Texas. I mean, I can go on and on and on. Right. Right. Problem. Um, so, you know, people, are, people all over the country are dealing with harmful algal blooms in their own backyard. And so they're, they're not, you know, it's, it's happening to me here. So why should I worry about Florida is kind of the thing. And this is why we're working not just in the state legislature, but on the federal level. And if you don't mind me jumping to that for a second,
0: Please um, do. on,
1: on July, July 1st, um, the what's called the select committee on the climate crisis a select committee is um, a, a standalone um committee and Cat, uh, chairwoman castor kathy castor is a democrat from tampa she she chaired it and they came out with a 550 page report with recommendations about how to deal with the, the causes and symptoms of climate change and it's a it's a read but a, a huge part of that is the um is, is dedicated to water infrastructure and natural infrastructure, natural capital and natural resources, AKA where we fish and hunt and surf and dive. Right. And I'm very proud that our organization had a lot, put a lot of input into that section. Um, it's really interesting to read it next to the clean waterways act because parts of it read pretty much the same. And that is not an accident. That's because we had so much input in both of those things. And, course, the Clean Waterways Act was driven by Republicans with democratic agreement. And the select committee is run by Democrats with a minority of Republicans, but with members from 11 very diverse states with, I think it's 15 members from, from very different political ideologies. They all agreed that we need to do something about climate change in the context of our water infrastructure. There's total issue agreement on that maybe not how we pay for it or something like that but they understand the problem and they agree on it mm-hmm. so um you know we're working on it. now we'll go, start working to to um to, we'll go to the thought th- well can't physically go to the authorizing and appropriations committees but we'll start you know suggesting that all right climate change is so controversial still but y'all agreed on this in florida you agreed on it in this committee hearing Let's fix our wastewater and stormwater. Let's, you know, repair our coastal ecosystems um, so that we are more resilient. And and, um, and so we can take on these harmful algal bloom problems that have in common land-based sources of pollution everywhere. So we can take them on, on a national level um, and, and get something done. Right, right. The, um, Well, we're into the
0: podcast for about 40 minutes. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you would like, to um did you'd like to, t- to talk about something that you might feel that's important that i haven't brought up yet
1: yeah um i'd like to talk to you about restoration strategies you know you've asked me several times and i'm sorry peter couldn't get on this call today about what you can do to repair w- impaired waterways like the indian river lagoon or you know what you're all are dealing with in the in the in broward area or for that matter biscayne bay or, um, right. or Bay, or what you name it the most important thing that we can do is turn off the tap on the sewage that is the most important thing if you stop introducing the sewage um, nutrients into the water column your oxygen levels will come back up um, you know your, your phytoplankton will be healthier you know the, the things that feed on hy- on phytoplankton you know clams and oysters and stuff to the degree that they exist in those environments They'll start rebounding. Um, corals will start doing better. Seagrass will start doing better. So it's really the first step and it's a big step and it's a lot of steps within one step is cut off the flows of, of, of coastal n- nutrient pollution. You've got to do that first and foremost.
0: All right. You, Hold I, I on one second. Sure. You nutrient pollution. And correct me if I'm wrong, but basically that's the shit that we're pouring in the water as we're using our waterways as a
1: freaking dump. That's right. That's right. Okay. There's, that there's a number, there's an, I'm sorry if I started talking like my science director. But,
0: right. So many people use that term, nutrients. We were laughing about it um, on the boat ride with the uh, uh, Mertran Talis. And I was like, man, I wish you guys would just come out and say what the hell it really is. Because seriously, I mean, the everyday guy, they they, get, they start getting lost immediately when we start talking about nutrients. And, yeah. We're talking about sewage. We're talking about the way we let our storm drains and shit just dump right into the water.
1: Right, right. So, yeah, I mean, we talk about land-based sources of pollution, nutrient pollution. Yeah, you hear hear nutrients and like, oh, nutrients are good for you. Yeah, well, they are to agree. But, (laughs) you know, it's like you can, you you know, if you're in good shape, you can eat one Twinkie and feel like I'm going to go take a run. You eat 10 of them, you're going to be like, I'm going to go lie down on the floor and hope I don't die. You know, <laughs> so what we've done with our estuaries is feed, fed them, t- fed these, these, these Olympic athletes, 10 Twinkies all of a sudden and handed them a, handed them a Coke cola to go with it. Okay. Right. Right. So enough. we got to get them off. You know, we've got to get them off. We've got to stop pouring, you know, pollution into these estuaries and, and let them, let them recover, you know, let their digestive systems get their blood sugar back to, you know, in equilibrium so that they can go out and be the outstanding athletes that they that they 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 used to be and could be again, to use a metaphor. Since we were right. both former athletes, so um, yeah. And so, you know, in in very a lot of people like to like to proffer oyster and bivalve restoration or seagrass restoration or, you know, this or that remedy. Um, and, and some people do it in a parasitic fashion, knowing that people are desperate and there's tax dollars out there that they can they can take and do it. And some some people do it naively, just really wanting to help. But I'm here to tell you guys and girls on this call, if, if the water's too dirty to support clams and oysters or sea grass, throwing them out there doesn't do anything but kill the animal. It's all you're doing. Right. tax dollars. Right. And really divert from the, what, what needs to be done. And I've seen you know in, um, previous iterations of the Brevard County Commission, which is horrible. You know, they refuse to address the, the nitrogen sewage pollution. Like, oh, we're going to do an oyster restoration over here and a clam restoration over here, and we're going to muck dredge out of the canal. And we're going to do this and that. And I'm like, um, when are you going to turn off the shit pipe? Right, right, right. right, they Because not want to deal with a billion dollar problem. That's the elephant on the couch. Right. And so, you know, when when let me let me just finish this thought thought, and I want to hear from you. But y'all, when y'all hear, you know, I, we're going to do this that restoration. The first question to ask is, have you turned off the sewage pollution pipe? Have you turned off the stormwater pipe of pollution? You know, have you addressed ag inputs of, of um of, of of nutrient pollution if there are any? Um, those are the questions to ask and and everything else should come later.
0: I like that. I like that. I wanna just um, I wanna give the audience an example of what Terry was just talking about. Because it happened right here in Fort Lauderdale, immediately um, after the sewage spills, um, one of the, what I call fundraising organizations, um, decided that they were going to put these oyster catchers, basically, to promote oyster life in the canal systems around Fort Lauderdale, and those oysters would help clean the water. And the news got a hold of it, and some people started talking about it, and yeah, it kind of felt good, like, hey, okay, somebody's doing something. But I asked the people that were doing the project, I says, what good is it to try to grow oysters in a place where you know that the water's too polluted for oyster growth? And we could go out in the boat and look at it with our own two eyes and see that the oyster growth will not happen here. And why put forth the energy? Why put forth the time? And now here we are six months later with a whole bunch of money and a whole bunch of time, and what did they get out of it? A couple of feel-good headlines. In the meantime, it distracted people's priority levels. It was a total waste of time, and it reminds me so much of what our fight is against with the government about being inefficient. And these are some of the people that are supposedly – in the fight to win I think they're in the fight I just don't think that that puts yourself in a position to win like football like fishing like hunting I think you have to concentrate on fundamentals first and if you cannot fundamentally have quality water for stuff to live in there's no reason to do some sort of friggin feel good rehab project like the one that just happened here in Fort Lauderdale and um a lot of people would be afraid or not want to bring that type of stuff up. But we have to bring up the stuff that works, and we have to bring up the stuff that doesn't work. And then if it's a charade, we need to call them out that it's a charade. But Terry's 100% absolutely right. Fundamentals first. Water quality first. Then life. Yeah. Don't try to and promote life you know, in a system where it can't live. And um, this type of shit goes on all the time. And I think if they would funnel the energy into what Terry's talking about first, then some of these feel good projects would actually be the thing to do.
1: That's right. that's right. I mean, just keep in mind like with Bivalves, I mean, you know, a lot of my friends and even some of my clients are in the um aquaculture industry, in the shellfish aquaculture industry, and they're growing they're they're operating in places like you know, the the waters of the Big Bend and the Panhandle, which are the healthiest waters in the state, and they're having problems. You think that, you know, you're going to put oysters in Br- Broward, Broward County waters and they're going to make it. First of all, you know, you're kind of below the um, tropics line there and they don't really live there anyway. Um, mm-hmm. And second, you know, the water is just too polluted. It's toxic phytoplankton. But and there's one other thing I wanted to discuss, Jeff, before you know we have to sign off. Sure. Um, Dr. Brill and I and others in the um, early 2000s, we got legislation passed to close the, the sewage outfalls on the coral reefs um, off of Miami-Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach County. And some of them, especially in Palm Beach County, and uh, were, were closed. But there's still a number, and I th- off the top of my head, I think the number is five. They're still operating. And they are discharging about 300 million gallons of partially treated wastewater every day on our reefs, every day. Mm-hmm. And they are one of the biggest reasons why that reef is dead. They support what we call this kudzu algae that just smothers the rocks and doesn't leave any place for new corals to settle. Yep. Um, they un- upset the the balance of nitrogen and phosphorus and, and it ha- wreaks havoc on the tissues in the in the corals, in the coral tissues. And they also spread pathogens through the corals. Meanwhile, we're wasting 300 million gallons a day and we're bringing 300,000 people here a day. Right. So, you know, they are supposed to, they, in 2013, the two counties got an extension to 2025. We're supposed to have them closed by 2013. Um, not a lot of progress has been made and they've got, you know, five years to go. Um, and this is a planning intensive exercise, uh, very challenging infrastructure project. Um, over my dead body, are they going to get another extension? I got but, you. I don't want to be the only person standing there on the on the front lines of the battlefield and turn around. And there's nobody there behind us. Um, so, you know, we really have to close that outfall. We just have to, if we want to give that reef a chance, it's got to close. We just absolutely has to when we got to recycle that water. And so, you know, I'll be in touch with you, you know, as, as action opportunities arise, but it's just unacceptable. I mean, that's third world country stuff, not, not, florida not the greatest nation in the country stuff it's a joke.
0: And, and and to clarify what terry's talking about these are what we call the stink holes out in front of the yeah. uh, we got one at hollywood beach and we got one in pompano beach mm-hmm. and they wonder why they call this area of the coast the dead zone <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, when you're pumping that type of uh sewage into the water there's a pretty good chance you're going to have a dead zone
1: and that's what they call it here did you know that terry Oh yeah. I've dove all of them. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's, ai have dove one into this reef or the other and it, you know, with, often with scientists and man, it's just, well, that's just disgusting. I mean,
0: devastated. Yeah. totally is. Devastated. Anyway, uh, Terry, I want to, um, I want to have you on the podcast. Um, I don't know, every other month. Like I'm really interested in your trip over to Sarasota next week. And I want to pat, myself on the back and pat you on the back because and all the friggin' media that we hear on the news and stuff how many times people say well you have to have the conversation you have to have the conversation you have to have the conversation well Terry and I just had a conversation for 50 minutes and 53 seconds so you can't put it on our shoulders we are having the conversation and we hope you guys are listening Terry Fantastic recording. Thanks for being on the Real Guy podcast. We know that the AWS project is just friggin' one of the best things that have happened in uh, the fight for clean water in a long time. And I think it's because of real guys like you that actually care. Thanks a lot for being on the podcast this week. Thank you, Jeff. Run that dog you.